right, good morning. Since I missed the pastoral welcome, let me take this opportunity to welcome you all formally um, to the to church this morning. We are sincerely glad that you're here. A um, couple of things before we get into the message today. Um, small thing and a big thing. Um, small thing. If, you'll, if you um, came in here this morning and walking around looking, and you'll see them here in the corners, there are cameras that were just installed um, in, the, every, in basically covering all the main areas, covering the entrances and things like that to the church in the back parking lot, etc. cetera. Um, one, we've not been a victim of a crime, so it's not a response um, to that. But two, it's a part of our security measures here at the church um, in terms of just having eyes on everything, you know what I mean? But I want to let you know, because this is something I'm very concerned about, uh, any data that's being recorded or whatever or transmitted through these cameras is all stored on site. There's no monitoring system. We don't have a setup with split monitors. Nobody's watching you, just to say that first of all. Um, they are a measure that's in place so that if somebody broke in or something, or God forbid, somebody was accused of some wrongdoing or something like that, that we can go into the database, we could pull, we could pull the, the data and then show that and say, okay, well, everything's good or okay, we have a problem, whatever it is. And so I just want you to know that this is not going into a cloud somewhere. It's not being monitored by a person actively. I just want you to know that because that's important to me. Security and privacy, um, you know, are are, uh, an interesting combination, but we're trying to maintain a good balance on that. So it's all stored, like I said, in a database or not a database where they call it a server on site and um, it's not transmitted any other place. So I just wanted you guys to know that you'll see them, but then you'll forget about them. And that's the idea. So... um, and just, you know, by the, anyway, so we just want to let you know that that's just a part of the ongoing, uh, well, we're just monitoring and trying to do the right things to keep everything uh, with wisdom in its place. Um, that's a small thing. The big thing is I want to just take a second and to give God praise for what happened with Roe versus Wade this last week. If we can just thank the Lord. And I, believe me, I do know that you can't quote legislate morality but if you legalize immorality, you'll have more of it. And so if you make it harder to access things from a standpoint of immorality, even in, standpoint, in situations where people are desperate, and we approach all these things with compassion. We understand many people who get abortions are in desperate situations. It's not that, it's not that they hate babies and all these other things in most cases. Um, but, but we, at the same time, um, if it's less available, that means people will consider other options and there will be fewer and fewer and uh, abortions, and if you don't, if you haven't thought about it, and you know, in this respect, um, the church, the church has in the past historically, um, we have we have been, we actually were created by God to be the to be the the homecoming receiving station for compassionate need, and uh, we've delegated so many of our responsibilities to the government and to other things that were never meant to be given away by the church. And so what I believe is going to happen through this is that a lot of opportunity for the church to be what we were called by God to be will be restored. And you, I'm sure you guys paying attention, you know, but the, it wasn't, of course, made fully illegal, but the, it was sent back to the states. So now the states can each state make their own rules and laws and things regarding abortion, but it is a monstrous victory for life. So we just want to thank the Lord one more time. Praise God. Praise God. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your goodness toward us and to this nation. The blood of the innocent, Lord, cries to you from the ground. And we pray, oh God, that through all this, 
that there would be less and less and less and less bloodshed. Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would let us as the church in this hour rise up and become who you called us to be, Lord. Forgive us, God, for all the things that are, have been ours to handle and to pray over and to consider and the care that we have been to extend and give as, as the church and have not. And I pray we would rediscover our identity as your bride and your children in the earth, Lord, through all of this. But I pray, O oh God, in Jesus' name, that, that you would let there continue to be just a turnaround in this country, O oh God, with um, more and more hearts being changed and more and more innocent, unborn lives being saved. And we ask that, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And we pray, O oh God, that this morning, that the time we have, we'd make the most of and that you'd be glorified through, um, through the, the message, through the word, through the, um, the time that we have God considering and praying and letting your word soak into our spirits. And I pray that we would be transformed from glory to glory by the Lord, who is the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, I shared a message with you um, that really was addressing, uh, was sort of pointing out or calling out those among us who, who, who don't like change very much. Those of us who are resistant to change. And um, pointing out that you have to embrace necessary and important change if you're gonna grow. And this applies to your spiritual life. This applies to everything um, in really in every aspect of your life because the law of diminishing returns. You put in the same and you get less out. And that's the way things go. And sin is one of the reasons for, for this kind of decline because things are not as they were created to be. And so that, was, so that was last week talking about how important it is that we embrace important change so that we can step up to the next level and continue to grow. This week, I wanna share a word with you that will serve as a caution to those who thrive on change because they are among us. And I have been one. I'm a recovering change addict, if you didn't know it. Um, I have with some, for, so just a little, my credentials. Let me just give you my credentials. In the first 10 years of our marriage, my wife and I lived in four different states, 12 different houses, started three different businesses, sold two of those, um, were involved in a church plant in Virginia, um, came back to Georgia in a state of disrepair to start over again, I went into the insurance industry where I had no experience and worked five years there until I couldn't take it anymore and was part-time pastoring throughout all that and so on and so forth. And that's just a snapshot. So it... Oh, and a hundred kids. I forgot to point that out. No, six is a good start, I feel. But, um, but we, uh, we, we, we had so much transition that um, by the end, I was begging God no more, please. And I, and, and, um, and, you know, by the end, in, in a, <laughs> just, uh, I'm having like a, a stuttering flashback attack right now. It was like PTSD, you know what I mean? Too much change. But um, those 10 years were extremely hard. And you keep on starting over and you keep on starting over and then you make a little progress and you start over and it's just reset, 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 reset. And you say, well, why am I not getting anywhere? Oh, it's because I've got this nasty habit of looking for something new. And I would say to you, and we'll talk about this a little bit, that a lot of what, I, what we did, the decisions we made, we were praying about. We're asking God for wisdom. 
We were saying, is this what you want? And sometimes we were saying, if you don't tell us no, we're going. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, you don't know what else to do. You, got, you feel like there's, the winds of change start to blow. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like Pa Ingalls in the Little House books. Y'all need to read those if you're going to enjoy being in this church. The, it's just like he'd get somewhere, they'd set up a, they'd set up a, a little town, get a little town set up and everything's going well. Then Paul would get the itch to go west. Okay, Caroline, that's enough. We got to go west. And then finally, when they got to Missouri, she said, I ain't, you can go, but I'm not going with you. And she didn't literally say that, but she said, enough's enough. And he agreed and he stopped moving. And they lived out the rest of their days in that one town, but they had pioneered, pioneered, pioneered their whole life but you can't pioneer forever. You got to eventually become a settler. And one of the ways that life gets established and begins to be fruitful is by staying in one place and doing similar things for a long period of time. And that's uh, hard for some of us to hear because some of us might say, well, that sounds extremely boring. Well, you're exactly here because God wanted you here to learn from uh, my mistakes and from other things that have been done. But, um, my point in saying a lot of this was that a lot of what we did, we know, or we felt strongly at the time God was leading us and we took steps. And, and, and so I'm not saying there aren't seasons that are like that, that are full of transition. All I'm saying is it's not a good long-term strategy. But there are people who, and this is really what I'm driving at, who just get the itch to do something new and tear up and move things and start over again. And they're seeking a satisfaction that's never going to come because it's endless. There's no bottom to that, to the hole that you're digging. And so we have to be cautious. If I was going to give an alternate subtitle to this message, I would call it, uh, why we have to stop moving, stay married, keep our jobs, stay and pray for our church, invest in our friendships, stop replacing things that aren't broken. And for goodness sake, open our eyes and thank God for what we have. So, um, that's an alternate subtitle, summarized, stop starting over. And some people in the church need to hear this word, stop starting over. There are changes that must take place. And then there's a time to say enough, enough. I'm going to show you something interesting. We learned about this through a Neil Anderson conference. He's the from like Freedom in Christ Ministries. He was sharing about this they, they, and back in the 19, might've been 60s, 70s, they did a study, Holmes, Raw, something or other, life stress inventory. And they put together this thing called the social readjustment rating scale. You can forget everything I just said. This is what it is. They put together a scale and they put points on how hard it is on you to experience certain life events. And they determined through this extensive study with many people involved that if you get 300 points, is it 300 points? Uh, 300 points or more, you have an 80% uh, probability of, of getting extremely sick. If you get 300 points in a year, you have an 80% probability of getting very sick. And if you look at the scale, you can go to the very top of the scale. The first three have to do with marriage. The first three, most... Get, you get the most points. And in this game, points are bad. It's like golf. The higher your score, the worse you are at this whole thing. Things are going badly if you have a high score. So death of a spouse is 100 points. And you can imagine that. You know, the Bible talks about what God's brought together, let no man tear apart. Well, it's, it, when you lose your spouse, it's a tearing apart through death. It's very painful. Divorce is the second one of 73 points. 
marital separation from your mate, 65 points. So you could experience marital separation and divorce in one year. Detention in jail or another institution was same score, 63 points. Major personal illness, or I'm not gonna read them all. I'm just gonna give you the top 10. Major personal injury or illness, 53 points. Eight, just getting married, number seven, was 50 points. You know what I mean? It's a blissful day, but guess what? There's a book out there called The Body Keeps Score. Have you ever heard of that book? Uh, the, it, check it out if you need. The, it's, it's just about how you, you, can, you can move on and, and get through certain things, but your body keeps score. Being fired from work, 47 points. Marital reconciliation with a mate. You got back together, but that wasn't easy, 45 points. And then number 10, retirement from work, and you can go on down through. You guys can look this up on your own and check it out. I think if you've been through a lot of transition, it'd be really good for you to sit down with the scale and just score yourself. Just give yourself the score and just kind of see where you land. Now, I want to give a gospel caveat in all of this. Jesus is our peace. Have you guys found that to be true? It's an absolute truth. And Jesus helps his children in ways that no one else has help. And we can cope and work through things because the peace of God, what does the Bible say? Guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We can get through a lot. We can bear up under a lot and handle a lot, not because we're strong, but because he's strong in us. And so many of you would say, well, I had a, I had a thousand point year and I didn't end up in the hospital. Well, you need to stop and give glory to God because people, this is not a Christian thing. People in the world are, they can get to a certain point and their bodies just go, I'm checking out. You're going to bed for three months because I can't take any more of this stress and anxiety. And all these, if you go through this scale, you'll see that there's things that are, some of them seem inconsequential. Like number 41 is a vacation, 13 points. You go on vacation, it's like, well, praise God, we went on vacation, but you get home from vacation and you're tired. It, it, the point is that every little thing or every transition, every kind of thing if you, that you do in life from very small to very big, um, the body keeps score. So imagine a person who's oriented toward, I don't feel happy in life if there's not some new shiny thing. Well, that person's gonna experience more transition than the normal person. And every transition has a score associated with it. So this is something that you can look up on your own. Is this in the app with my notes? Because I sent it out with my notes. Is it not? Okay, well, either way, we can, you can look it up for yourself and check it out if you want that just as a resource. But I thought it was interesting to see that if you have transition upon transition upon transition, change, change, and instability and all these things, it has a direct impact on your health because of stress. And there's been tremendous studies done on stress and the effects on the body and things to consider. But I want you to hear, this is, and again, I'm not talking to people who have been subjected to transition because we've all experienced that too. Things that were outside of our control, things that happened and we had to transition because transition was happening whether we liked it or not. So I'm not talking as much to you. I'm talking to the person who looks for some new shiny thing to follow. Listen to what the scripture says in Proverbs 24, 21. It says, my son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate, listen to these words, with those who are given to change. It's talking about a particular lifestyle, a person who, you know, just when you think you know where they stand on something or you know what, what, what they're gonna be or what they're gonna do or whatever, or you just start to lean on them, just start to depend on them, whew, they're gone. They gotta have some new change, some transition. 
And he says in verse 22, for their calamity will rise suddenly. Just like they like change and transition, well, guess what? Falling flat on your face is a part of, of making major changes in life without thinking those things through. He says their calamity will come suddenly and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them. The both of them there is referring back to the prior verse where he says, fear God and the king. Who knows what calamity will come from God if you make transition thoughtlessly? Who knows what calamity will come through from the king if you, because of the things that you do end up, you know, whatever, causing kinds of problems that relate to the, the uh, governmental organizational structure of things. So you get in trouble even with the, the king. Who knows what trouble will come from both of those? And then Proverbs 17, 24, wisdom is in the presence of one who has understanding. And if you know the way the Proverbs are set up, they're set up as like juxtapositions. You know, there's this idea contrasted with this. And the second part of the verse says, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. So a person who has wisdom has understanding. That understanding causes them to let their eyes be right in front of them. And the Proverbs actually starts out that way. And he's, he's talking you know, to his son and saying, my son, let your eyes be fixed on the path at your feet, he says. In other words, look right in front of you and stay on the path. But the eyes of the fool are way out there on the someday, somehow, some way, and can't appreciate anything that's in the immediate sphere because the, the ability of the heart to dream and desire is greater than the character of the person to, to develop and cultivate gratitude. And there's a, there's, a, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says something very similar to that. <clears throat> and so we have to be so cautious about this. Sin, this is the reality that comes from the nature of sin in us. Sin in its sinister, subtle way makes us gradually, so it kind of creeps up on us, and unexplainably dissatisfied with people, places, and things we once knew were gifts from God. So happy for the answer to prayer. Look what God's done in my life. Three months later, you're nitpicking it, pointing out problems. Well, that could have been better. Well, that could be better. Because why? The eyes have gone to the ends of the earth. The eyes have gone to what could be. And I didn't mean to bring this up again, but Little House on the Prairie, they got in the mail the Sears Roebuck catalog. And guess what happened with the, in, with the introduction of the Sears Roebuck catalog into the rural prairie life? Well, suddenly you can see everything that could be for just so many dollars. And so the covetousness and the, and the un, inability to be happy begins to settle in. This was in what, the 1800s or something like that? And, and we, how many know we've got that at our fingertips and on our phones? The ability to look at what could be all the time and to be suddenly dissatisfied. So if we do not realign our hearts with God through gratitude, then a general malaise takes hold and we begin to believe that we deserve or need an upgrade to our circumstances. So that first part's important. When you're experiencing dissatisfaction with something you know God gave to you, that's, that's when it's on us to really carry our hearts into the presence of God and say, God, I have ceased to be grateful for a good and perfect gift. And let God, just let him begin to work in you because it's not you, it's Jesus. It's the life of Jesus in you 
that produces the sincerity of heart and the true gratitude that's necessary to experience true contentment. Contentment as a discipline will destroy you. Can I just say that? I just want to be fair in this whole thing. Contentment as a discipline will destroy you. I've seen too many people saying, well, I'm choosing contentment. And I know that was a, there's big, big movements of like, choose contentment, choose contentment. And, and usually where I'll just tell you, maybe I shouldn't tell you, I won't tell you where I <laughs> saw it the most, but, but choose contentment is a terrible strategy. You need to actually bring your heart into the presence of God and let him give you true contentment. Don't take the cheap road. Your discipline, guess what? Your discipline can't get you anywhere without the grace of God. Choose contentment, nice try. The Bible, the Bible is so clear about how much we cannot do for ourselves. And contentment, the Bible says here, Paul wrote to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing out. And, but this godliness, the character of God in you with contentment is the great gain. And so it's gonna take more than you and your discipline to get through to a place of contentment. And, and so God produces a contentment in you, which is a basic gratitude for what you do have. And it's cutting off. It's the blinding of the eyes to what is out there as a possible option. And then, then you orient your heart in an attitude of trust toward God. And you say, and I trust you, Father. Now you give whatever is best. And then watch and see how God, over time, as you're faithful with a little, blesses you through stewardship with a little more. But everything comes from him and everything is growing and increasing and the blessing comes. And all this, everything I just described to you is entirely uprooted. If in the point of your discontentment, you tear up all your roots and go after something else that your heart desires and restart your whole life, restart your business, restart your everything, restart your marriage, pick a new marriage, whatever you do. If you do all of that from the standpoint of discontentment, then everything goes back to zero. So it's a big difference, you know what I mean? There's, if, you're, if you're tired of the paint color in your living room, hey, you might be out 50 bucks even if you like or don't like the color afterward. But if you get tired of your marriage and cast aside a good gift from God because you can imagine something better and then go chase after something else, that's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Can you see there's a tremendous difference? What about you've got a really, what if you, God has blessed you, he's given you a good job and somebody comes along and says, yeah, well, you know what, we can top that over here. Come over to our company. But the company you're in has a really good culture. They take care of their employees and all these things. But here's 15,000 more a year. Well, that's a nice little step up. And so you say, well, this is just the ladder. I'm just taking the next step. And you move over here, but you don't know anything about their culture. And now you're in a nasty culture making a little more money and they don't take care of people. And guess what? You're the new guy. So when something goes wrong, you're expendable. My point is, we gotta be very wise about the transitions that we make in life and know that it's from God because they can be so destructive if they're not. And the issue with this is that it can take on very spiritual tones. This is the kind of way that we talk. God is leading me to do what? God gave you this good thing and God's leading you to throw it away. Well, you know, we should feel kind of sorry for God because he's confused. And I don't mean to be, well, I did mean to be a little sarcastic about that. But I'm just trying to help us to see this with the right perspective. What, God gave it to you, but now he's saying throw it away? Maybe not. Maybe he's pulled back from that a little bit, but don't, you know, God showed me 
that I need to move or quit or leave or break my vows, not keep my word, the things I said I would do, I'm actually not gonna do. And this is what I wanna tell you. We should never trust our own motives when we feel pressure to spiritualize anything. I, I see, I've seen this way too much. Brother, I just need you to know God's leading me to do X, Y, Z. And you know what I mean? You know what God gives us is he gives us eyes to see right through that smoke screen. And you go, hold up a second. Don't put his name on this. This is you doing this because you want something else. Be honest about it. Don't put his name on it. You prayed and heard nothing from God and you took that as a yes. But that's not the same thing as God's leading, guiding, directing. Because you know what comes with a transition that God is in? The blessing and favor of the people in your life who also know God. They come alongside and say, this is a good thing. In many cases, we've had so many people who are moving out of the, leaving the church, you know what I mean? And, and we're going, we don't want you to go. We love you guys, but what a blessing. This is a good thing. Go off and be blessed. We pray over them and say, go, go do what God's called you to do. And then there's other people who say, brother, God's leading me. And you know the truth. You know what's really going on. They're hurt, their feelings are offended about something, whatever it is, they just don't want to say it. And then those people leave in a very different tone and mood because everybody's going, why are they leaving? And you can't really say anything because they've already told everybody it was God. And so you just go, hmm, talk to them, ask them about it. But you see it in all kinds of contexts in life. My point is be very careful about anything you feel pressured to spiritualize because it's very important that we don't put God's name on something. You know what I mean? Honesty is the best policy. That's across the board. And if you want to say like, I'm just not happy, that's a much better response than saying like, God's leading me. Does that make sense to everybody? We just need to be truthful. But any transition that you engage in, we need to be sure it's from God because transition is a big deal. In a state of restless dissatisfaction, this is what we can do if we're not careful. Cast off our blessings, tear ourselves up by the roots and transplant critical parts of life into new settings in pursuit of this elusive, just out of reach, this elusive happiness. <clears throat> the reality is once done, this cannot be undone. You have just officially started over and the applicable processes also reset to zero. So things go back to zero and you're starting fresh. And so I'm, what I, I hope this is coming through, I think this is coming through clearly. <laughs> Be very careful what major transitions you make and consider what's behind it. What's the true motive? Is it really necessary? Is it really from God? Is it something that could be worked out right where you are? Or is it actually good to make a major change? Because all new beginnings are subject to an indifferent natural law. And there are no shortcuts through the seasons that are about to follow. No shortcuts. This is the lie we tell ourselves well, I've already got experience with this and I've got this and I've got this, so I'll make this change and guess what? I'll just pick up right where I left off. Well, no, you don't. The seasons reset to zero. And let me share a story with you. So when we lived in Nebraska, um, a lady who was in our church there was like a master gardener. This lady had the most beautiful, the back, her backyard was like the secret garden. You guys know what I'm talking about? You walk through the stone wall and there's just like these canopies of flowers and bushes and all this crazy stuff and butterflies and all these other things floating around and just like a wonderland. 
Well, I brought a tree. I, we were painting a house and, and uh, dug up a tree that was growing too close to the foundation. And, I, and, I didn't, and we, we had just bought a house. And I asked the lady, I said, because she was going to get rid of the tree. And I said, can I take it home and plant it? And she said, well, sure. I don't want it. And uh, so I took the tree home and I told this lady that I had brought this tree home because I knew she knew all about the plant world. And she said, well, let me come over. For I'll tell you what kind of tree it is. I didn't even know what kind of tree, you know. That's the first thing you find out before you plant something like that. But I didn't. I just liked it. I thought it was cute, little tree, whatever. And so I brought it home. She came over and she was in our backyard and she told me what kind it was and what kind of sun it needed and all this other stuff. And then she said, Joel, I'm going to tell you something. You dug this tree up. And she said, so I'm going to tell you the whole process. You're never going to forget this. She said, there is a law that all of these, a law of transplants. And when you move something, when you dig it up by the roots and move it to somewhere else, there's a process that it follows. And this is the process. The first year, it sleeps. The second year, it creeps. And the third year, it leaps. And she said, it wouldn't matter if you dug it up here and replanted it right there 30 seconds later. It starts over entirely. And the first year, it's going to sleep. She said, it might lose all of its leaves and you might think it's dead. But it might not be dead. It might be, but it might not be dead. And if it's not dead, then you, you got to tend it and give it the things that it needs. You're not going to over-fertilize whatever. You're just going to give it water and the sun and the things that it needs. And then that first year is not a definite year. With plants, it's more, they hold to the seasons pretty closely. But in your life and in my life, guess what? It's not always a year. It's not always three-month season. It's a season, and that season can last uh, an undisclosed amount of time. But that first season, it sleeps. And that's what it's going to do because its roots have not taken hold where it is. Second, second season, though, if it gets through that and survives, then it's going to begin to creep, which means it's going to have a little bit of growth, but it's going to be very slow, very gradual. And just a little growth, a little here, because what's happening now is the roots beneath the surface have taken hold and the, the plant is focusing most of its energy beneath the surface where you can't see anything. So if you transplanted an apple tree and you want to eat apples next year, guess what? You're not eating any apples next year. If you, if you bring one home from the store and plant it, you know, sometimes they'll have a couple of, you know, fruit on it or whatever, but they take a certain amount of time before they start to do anything. We have magnolia trees in our yard and the magnolia tree, it mirrors almost like human maturation. They don't produce a seed until they're 12 or 13 years old. And then one day you look out and there's this beautiful white flower in the midst of the, uh, you know, the kind that we have in the midst of the magnolia tree. But that's the creeping season. It takes time before it can do anything. But then if it survives that season and does well and goes on, now it's got a root system. And the third year, the third season, it leaps. Now you've got growth and now you've got fruitfulness. So that's God's law, and it's written into nature. And if you and I dig up our lives and move them over here and plant them again, this is the law that our lives will be subject to. Businesses, marriages, families, moving, changing houses, all the major things that we would consider transitions. <clears throat> Makes a big difference. I want to show you this is interesting from the scriptures in 2 Kings 19. God's people had been totally devastated by the king of Assyria. But then God looked at what the king of Assyria did and God said, 
uh, I'm unhappy with the king of Assyria because I raised him up to discipline my people and he took matters into his own hands and was overly harsh with my people. So now I'm disciplining the king of Assyria for the way he disciplined my people. So then God broke down the king of Assyria and destroyed him and drove him away. And what's left in Israel, what's left in Judah particularly, is a remnant of God's people that are restarting the nation. So this is a transplant. This is a start over. It's a do-over. And they are starting basically from nothing. Their entire society has been destroyed. Most of the houses have been destroyed. Most of the people have been destroyed. The families have been broken apart. You know, there's orphans and widows and people, you know, you know just total destruction. Everything is reforming. And this is what God said would be a sign to his people. In 2 Kings 19, then this shall be a sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself. That's the first year. In the second year, you will eat what springs from the same. And in the third year, sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. Do you guys see that? The first year, you eat, they call it volunteer, the stuff that just springs up from the seeds that were spilled on the ground from the last harvest or whatever. So you're gonna just let the plants grow. And whatever comes up from that, God says, harvest it and eat it, but don't, don't cut the plants down. You don't, you know, let them sit. And then whatever seed spills into the ground from that is gonna spring up next year. And now there's a little more. And so in the second year, you're not, gonna, you're not planting again. You're going back and you're gonna harvest now just also what the ground has provided. So it sleeps and then it creeps. But then he says, in the third year, when we get past that point, you're going on to growth and to fruitfulness. Plant vineyards, go on from there. And he talks about <clears throat> how they will sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. And he says in verse 30, the surviving remnant of the house of Judah, listen to these words, will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. So God says, the way I'm gonna handle feeding you in very practical ways is gonna mirror, because it's a sign for you, what's actually happening among my people. So he said, you know, in the beginning, it's gonna seem like nothing's really happening. There's gonna be a little bit of fruitfulness, but nothing much to say, nothing much to show. The second year, things are gonna kind of double. But then in the third year, there's gonna be this super abundance and that's what's gonna happen as a sign to you. So God's just showing it. This is kind of, this is his mode. This is his model. And this is written into the laws of nature and into God's way with his people. In verse 31, for out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant and out of Mount Zion survivors the zeal of the Lord will perform this. So <clears throat> God does this with us. And um, we have to just be very wise about the decisions that we make in life because for you and I to go back to zero, especially later in life, the harder and harder it is to go on and to make, you know, and to build the things that we need to build so that like the Bible says, a righteous man leads with an inheritance to his children's children. And so we all want to do that from a spiritual standpoint, from a practical standpoint, but we have to stop starting over so that we can have time to build what needs to be built. So I want to say this because it's important to see both sides. Some changes are unavoidable. It's just a fact. Many are necessary and some are even essential, but even so the same law applies to the starting over process. So when we have to sometimes accept it against our will, but what I'm really cautioning you about is unnecessary change, not to enter into it unnecessarily. Um, and one other thing, just because I want, I want to be very fair in the whole picture that I'm painting here, since your life is not a plant, 
there's a sense in which parts can be transplanted while others stay the same. Um, and I, examples of that would be like, you move, but you move across town. So you can use work in the same job, you're going to the same church, same circle of friends. None of that's really changed. You just moved across town. So part of your life is starting over, but the rest of it remains the same. That's going to be far less impactful than a total upheaval, a total restart some other place. Um, job or a church change in the same town, you know, where there's a lot of consistency, but some other things, you know, those kind of things are going to be less impactful. And because you're, you're not a physical plant, you can take up part of your life, move it over here and, and you know, and work through those things and it'll be different. Um, but this is what I was mean by this. In those cases, the laws apply, but selectively, and there's kind of a law of averages. So the things that stay the same will provide stability and the things that did change will be kind of lessened. The significance of the shift will be lessened because there's so much other things that are stable. So it's just a matter of employing wisdom in what we do. So let me walk through the seasons with you because I want you to understand them thoroughly. Season one is sleeping. In this season, everything is new. And that's what lures us into new, into new seasons of life, right? The idea of something new. Everything is new, but all seems dead except for a few signs of life. We're very vulnerable and we feel it acutely. This is when like, for example, that tree, by the way, that that lady helped me plant and all this stuff, I hit it with a weed eater in the first year. And you know what? I went out and wrapped it up with a little something. I thought it was going to be, it died. It died. It was vulnerable. It was little. It was just getting started. It was vulnerable. And when you're in a transplant season, first year sleeping, all the energy is going into the roots. Shock and distress after a transplant can be devastating. Very hard um, to, to, to handle because the energy is focused on just getting stable. So our roots are in the ground, but they have not taken hold or begun to draw resources from their environment yet. So you plant as much of the root ball as you can. You want to maintain as much of it as you can, um, which gives it a better chance at survival. But then those roots have to grow out from there and connect with the ground you planted it in. And that takes time. So in life or in business, this is when you're investing, you're networking, maybe you're house hunting or church searching. This is when you're job hunting, you're cold calling, you're making introductions, you're doing all the things you need to do because you're looking forward to um, a time of greater success because of all the energy you're putting in right now, putting down roots. And so what I'm hoping that we're doing as I'm going through this is considering like, do I really want to do that? Do you know what I mean? Because if you've got something good, open your eyes and thank God for what you have. And in so many cases, we need to be asking the Lord, is there a step up you want to take me right where I am? Because that's more, I found that that's God's way more often than this total upheaval that so many people just seem to thrive on. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm in a job and it's a good culture and I, but I, and I think I know what the next step up is. And a lot of people will say, I don't want my boss's job. And that's a fair statement. I've had the same thought in different environments. I don't want my boss's job. And I'm just wondering if there's not something else that just, just hasn't been seen, something we need to really ask God about where there could be you know, some sort of way to progress without total upheaval. And, and, and let me take it into relationships. Now, what about your marriage? Well, things have kind of gotten stagnant. You know, I haven't seen a lot. You know, I'm, I'm getting frustrated with my spouse. We've been in the same spot for a long time. Don't, do not throw away a gift from God with the hope 
that there's something, the grass is always greener, you know, on the other side of the fence type of thing. I just want to tell you that is a lie and a deception. And there is no greater destruction than a divorce. Anybody who's been through it will tell you that, even if they felt it was necessary. And on the flip side of it, starting over is extremely, extremely challenging and difficult. So what we have to really do is employ what we call faith. Is that not true? God, I don't see a way, but I know there must be because you're here. You've called us into this season and you're going to lead us out of it. So much better than a total upheaval and a transition. And in fact, God hates divorce and he loves to help us and lead us and change us and move us through into new seasons in life um, with the same person. So that's just some encouragement. I want you to be encouraged and not to, not to even consider the rash decisions that the devil puts in your mind. Season two is creeping. In this season, it's clear that there is life, but growth feels painfully slow. All the efforts to fertilize or encourage growth seem futile, but hold on. Things are happening beneath the surface that are essential to the growth process above. That's what you have to know. All the energy you're putting in, this is last week's message. You wanna go to the next level? You gotta put in the energy, put in the work, put in the time. You gotta do something different, break out of the old rut. Make, you know, you're, you're doing something new because you wanna go to the next place. So you wanna get out of the sleeping season. It's gonna take a little while, but you'll get into it. And then you go into the creeping season and you're starting to see a little bit of benefit from all the work you're putting in. And those are all just little signs that what you're doing is working, but it's not the full reward. So you're investing, same thing, you're networking. Now you're painting the house you were shopping for in the last season. You're planting trees. You're settling into your church or your job. You're settling in with relationships and, and new connections, you know, business and relationships and all of this. And um, those things are maybe starting to show a little bit of fruit. And then season three, leaping. In this season, the roots are firmly established. You know, it just takes a little bit. It just doesn't happen automatically, but it happens as you feed and nurture and care for the thing that you're feeding and just give it time, give it time, give it time. But now the roots are firmly established. We are well acclimated to our environment. As long as the right elements are present, we will burst forth and make up for all the lost time. And I want to say this to you. This is another gospel moment for us in this message. Um, the Bible says that God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Do you guys know that from the prophecy in the book of Joel? If you're, sitting on, if you're sitting on a set of circumstances in your life where you look back and go, the locusts ate up a whole bunch of stuff. You know, you look back, how many of you look back at your life and just go, that was the stupidest thing I ever did and it cost me 15 years. We look at stuff like that in our own past. Well, guess what? When we come to repentance in the presence of God and with any people that we hurt in the process of our bad decisions, God is the one who comes in and restores the years that the locusts have eaten. And I just wanna, you need to know that. So people, there are people who are worried about, how am I gonna leave an inheritance to my kids? I don't even have a decent job. Well, go revisit the things you need to revisit with God. If you made the wrong decision, repent before God and with anybody else that it impacted. And now ask God, say, Lord, I'm looking forward to the future and I wanna be able to do what the Bible says and leave an inheritance to my children's children. So now, and you need to get real Jabez in this moment and say, now will you bless me indeed? Enlarge my coast. That's not a prosperity message. You guys understand that? Jabez was, was, a, was a beaten down individual. 
His name means shovel of mire. That's a poop shovel. That's what his mom named him. He was abused by his own brothers. He was a beaten down person, but the Bible says there's a word in that passage that means he was more gloriously endowed with character because of what he suffered. And that beaten down, gloriously endowed with character person had the will to turn and look past the earth and everything going wrong to his heavenly father and said, will you bless me indeed? Will you enlarge my coast? Will you keep evil far from me? It's just a wish list of best possibilities. And God said, I'll do all of it. How about all of it? And God did all of it for him. And why is that in the Bible? To enrich prosperity preachers, right? No, God put it in the Bible. It's for us. Read it. And what character has God built into you through your hardships? And that gloriously endowed character now, it's Jesus in the work of Christ in you. Now you turn around and say, Father, we've gone without for a long time, but we're looking to the future now and I can't take back the years the locusts have eaten. And God says, well, I'll restore those. And I'll lead you on a path that leads where you need to go. But I need you to trust me and I need you to do exactly what I say when I say it. And that's the, that's the mode of operation. But we need to look forward in faith because We've all uprooted, we've all started over, we've done things we wish we hadn't, we've made good changes. But we're all subject to the seasons. So if everything is right, we burst forth and make up for the lost time. And now the growth can be comparatively rapid and healthy and fruit becomes abundant. But how do we get there? You refuse to quit. You stop starting over and you do the things that are right. Feed, fertilize, water, give it sun. It's very, a lot of these things are very simple. But it's how life comes in. I'll wrap up with a couple of scriptures here. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. You see that? What's the temptation? Grow weary and quit. I've been doing this a long time. God, where's the fruit? Grow weary and quit. That's the temptation. But he says, the people who hold on past the point of their own weakness will find my strength. And the person who works past the point of their own weakness and finds the strength of God, guess what? They will reap the harvest if they don't grow weary. We got to push through and see it through to the last season. Stop starting over and keep on to the season where it begins to leap. Psalm 37 was a scripture that my wife and I had posted on the wall for over a year that we were reading constantly, praying through. God was leading us, giving us little like, you know, we call them nuggets or whatever, but little things, little verses and pieces and parts all the time that were just feeding us through a transition. And Psalm 37 is an excellent, if you're, if you're a person who's trying to, to let God work in you, this thing that I'm talking about today of stability. Um, Psalm 37 is an excellent verse packed full of promises. And I'm just going to give you a sampling. Psalm 37, three says, trust in the Lord and do good. You see that? Trust God, do the right things. This is the first step. Dwell in the land. And what does it say? Cultivate faithfulness. A person who's transitioning all the time is lacking in faithfulness. Nobody's, nobody said Amen. A person who's always changing is breaking their word to people all the time. It's a fact. You have to stop 
doing it and learn to cultivate faithfulness. You said you would do it. Well, do you show up and do it? Do you keep your word? Cultivate it. Let God work it into your character that you just are. You need to be a rock. People need to look at you and say, you know what you can do? You can set your clock by that guy. You can set your clock by that lady. If she says she's going to be there, everybody else may back out, but she's going to be there. And you got to, people, that's some, that's cultivated faithfulness. Faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit, but every fruit of the spirit has to be cultivated. It's given by God in a seed form and we cultivate it into the full grown thing by his grace. So cultivate faithfulness, but you got to, guess what you got to do? You got to dwell in the land. If you're going to do it, you can't move. You can't change. You can't go somewhere else. You can't quit your job. You're going to have to stay put and work it out. Delight yourself in the Lord. Isn't that, that's the condition for the following promise. And he will give you the desires of your heart. What do you really want from God? Well, he says, delight yourself in him. What comes with that? Well, dwell on the land and cultivate faithfulness comes with that. But delight yourself in him. Make God the desire of your heart and he will give you every desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. That's pray about everything everything. You know, Jesus said, pray for your daily bread. He all, but he also said, your father in heaven loves you so much. Wouldn't he, you guys know how to give good things to your children. If you ask your father for bread, does he give you a stone? And yet Jesus said, you need to pray for your daily bread. Do you, do you insist that your children, and now I'm not going to get into the human versus God relationship, but let me just say this. You need to pray about everything, even the things that you believe are guaranteed. Like bread. You need to pray about everything. Pray for your daily bread and let God provide it. Trust also in him and he will do it. You notice the way God keeps taking the burden in all of this? You'd pray for this, but God says, okay, and I'll take the burden. How about I'll do it? You ask, I'll do it. And you're cooperating with him. You're trusting in the Lord and you're doing good, but he's doing it. He's the one who makes impossible things possible. And in Psalm 37, 22, For those blessed by him, those blessed by God will what? Inherit the land. This, that phrase pops up over and over and over and over again in Psalm 37. It's like four or five times. But those cursed by him will be cut off. That means if you're doing what's right and pleasing God, he's gonna give, take from the wicked and give to the righteous. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, that's God delights in in his way when he walks with God. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Did you hear that? You're gonna make mistakes along the way, but you're not gonna fall flat on your face because God's got you by the hand. Does that encourage anybody else besides me? You're not gonna fall. I have been young, he says, and now I am old, yet I have not seen, that's never seen, the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. So what are your fears? Confess and forsake your fears to God. I'm afraid that we're not gonna have what we need. I'm afraid my kids won't have what they need. I'm afraid I won't be able to help my kids with their college or their wedding or whatever it is. I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. Well, he says, I've never, ever, ever, ever seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread, it will be provided because the name of God is Jehovah Jireh. It's not what he does, it's who he is. He is your provider. And if he did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is what he says about the righteous in verse 26. All day long, he's gracious and lends. 
his descendants are a blessing. That's what you have to look forward to. Your descendants will be a blessing. Depart from evil and do good. Let the Lord search your life. Is there any evil? Is there any, you know, is there any poison on the plant? I don't have time for any more stories, but when I was in elementary school, we all took a plant home to try to grow it. And I thought, I'm gonna give my plant a competitive advantage. And I poured a Hawaiian punch (laughs) into my plant because I thought, well, it supposedly has vitamins and minerals and it'll give my plant a competitive advantage. And it did. It took it straight into the plant graveyard. My plant definitely died and everyone else has lived. And so I presented my dead plant. We're supposed to monitor their growth and all this and mine just didn't have any. So you got to look at your life that's kind of a silly example, but you got to look at your life and see, are you putting Hawaiian punch on the plant? Because you might, it might seem like a good idea, but if it's not of God, it's not good and you got to stop it. Depart from evil and do good so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. You see that? He doesn't leave you high and dry. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and will dwell in it forever. So if you don't have to make a major transition, don't make it. If God leads you into one, understand what the seasons ahead of you will be like and navigate those with wisdom. God will give you the grace and he'll show you the way to lead that leads into a life of exceeding fruitfulness. Lord, we thank you for walking with us. Lord, we have not done everything right. And we know that we might stumble again, Lord, even as we try to listen to your voice and try to follow. But, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name that an amazing and incredible grace would surround us. And you'd help us, Lord, with wisdom to get free from needing change. And instead, Lord, to appreciate what we do have to sow and invest in the things that are right in front of our faces. And show us, Lord, what it looks like to move into that season, Lord, where everything is uh, just bursting with life. And we ask you to help us by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.